Good morning. I want you to think of the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word vine. If you're thinking back a few months ago to a sermon series we went through, and you think of Jesus being the vine and us being the branches, that's a good answer. It's the right answer. Good job. It's not my answer. It's not what I think of when I hear the word vine, but it's the right one. You might be thinking about maybe some, uh, some vines that are growing on your back fence, and every time you cut them down and you spray poison on them, it doesn't matter. Those vines keep coming back, those pesky things. Or you may, or maybe it's just me, be thinking about a social media platform called Vine. Vine was a very simple social media platform. It allows you to post videos of six seconds or less. That's it. There were no video editing tools. There were no, uh, there were no special effects. There was nothing to except six seconds from your camera on your phone into the app. It only lasted four years. It failed because it couldn't monetize itself. But during its heyday, it had millions upon millions of users. And I want to show you one of my favorite vines. It's a really funny vine. It's just random. And that was mostly my favorite kind of stuff. So if we could let that play twice, because it's only six seconds. So you got to pay attention. So let's go ahead and let that play and watch one of my favorite vines. Look at all those chickens, right? I love this video. I mean, first of all, the girl's super cute. You can't deny that, right? Second of all, it's so random. Like, we don't know what's happening before that. We don't know what's happening after it. We don't have any idea why it seems like they're on the side of a highway looking at a field of ducks and calling them chickens. And that's just funny to me. Another thing is the girl's just clueless, right? And maybe we can make excuses, okay? Let's, let's make some excuses. Maybe she was reading a book about chickens on the way over, and so chickens were on her mind. Or maybe she lives on a chicken farm, and so she's always thinking about chickens, and she saw a white bird about that size, and she thought, look at all those chickens, right? Maybe she thinks a duck is a yellow squeaky bath toy, or maybe she's really never seen a real duck. So maybe it's not her fault, right? But she looks at a field of ducks, and she says, Look at all those chickens. And for this reason, her cluelessness, I think she would make an excellent disciple in Mark's gospel. <laughs> Bear with me, right? So Mark is one of four gospels, of course, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Mark is one of, actually Mark is my favorite gospel. And I promise it's not because it's the shortest and the easiest to read, although it is. Uh, it's my favorite because of lots of things, because of certain themes that are in the book of Mark. One of the themes that I love that Mark pulls out is this theme of second exodus, how in the exodus story, the Israelites are led by Moses out of captivity in Egypt and into the promised land. Mark kind of frames it throughout his story of Jesus leading the, Is the, the Israelites, new Israel, all of people, right, out of captivity from sin and death and into the new promised land, which is eternal life. And I love that, right? Uh, he has lots of, uh, his stories are different because he doesn't have any unique stories that aren't in the other Gospels, but it's much shorter. So he has to be very precise, and he has to really condense it. And he really focuses on exorcisms and healings, especially of the blind, lame, mute, and deaf. And I think that's really interesting. Another thing of motifs, which are like little tiny, uh, little tiny themes. One of the motifs in the book of Mark is the continuous movement back and forth across the Sea of Galilee. They're on this side, then they get in the boat, they go to this side, then they get in and go to this side. And it's really cool to follow that story. And one of the motifs is the cluelessness of the disciples. 
And you might think the disciples are the 12 closest people to Jesus. They were intimately with him during his whole ministry. Surely if anybody understands Jesus, it's the disciples, right? Nope, not according to Mark. So Mark actually tells us a few examples of the demons knowing Jesus better than his own disciples did. Just after Jesus called his first disciples, Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, it says he exercises a demon. And in Mark chapter 124, the demons say, or the demons say, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of Israel. So from the very beginning, the spirits know who Jesus is, right? So we, we keep going in Mark chapter 134, a little bit later. After Jesus had healed many people, and after he had exercised many demons, it says um, he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In Mark chapter 3, verse 11, as people were pressing around Jesus so that they may be healed because they'd seen the great things that he's done, it says, whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. And even the demons, it seems like, are learning even more about him. Even more, there's a little bit more of an explanation to who Jesus is. And then another one in Mark chapter 5, verse 7, uh, another encounter with an unclean spirit. It says, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Right? So we know that the unclean spirits know who Jesus is. But the disciples are continuously painted to be clueless. They're looking at this Christ, this Messiah, and they want him to be something, and they think he's something. But they're not learning. They're not absorbing. They're not understanding who he actually is. They're looking at a field of ducks, and they're saying, look at all those chickens. They just don't get it. And this time, we can't make excuses like we can for the girl. The disciples have been with Jesus his whole ministry, right? They've seen so many great things he's done. They've seen healings. They've seen exorcisms. They've seen him touch and heal lepers. They've seen him include outcasts such as women and Gentiles and prostitutes and tax collectors. They've seen him do ministry in foreign lands back and forth across the Sea of Galilee. They've heard his teachings and even in parables that nobody else understood. Mark tells us he went behind closed doors and taught the disciples in private to explain it further. And still, it's not clicking. In fact, one time during one of Jesus' many miracles, Jesus is walking across the water. And I think, I've, I think I've said this up here. I think it's one of my favorite snippets in the Bible. Uh, the disciples, the clueless disciples, think Jesus is a ghost, right? Oh, no, it's a ghost. Oh. But Jesus says, take heart. In the Greek, it says, ego eimi, which is I am in English. And if you think back to the first Exodus story, when God gives Moses his name, Yahweh, what is it? I am. I always was. I am. I always will be. Same thing in the Greek here. Jesus tells his disciples who he is, and still they do not get it. And there's a few other examples, and I had to condense them down to just a few, but I could have pulled a lot more. But let's look in Mark chapter 4, verse 38. While the disciples were crossing the Sea of Galilee, as they did quite a bit, a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So Jesus' response, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? After all you've seen me do already, you still don't have any faith? Again, in Mark chapter 8, verses 14 through 21, after the disciples had already seen Jesus feed 5,000 people with five little biscuits and two little fish, 
And right after they had seen Jesus feed 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread and a few fish, they realized they don't have any bread. And so they begin discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus said, do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Why don't you get it yet? In fact, here it's really interesting because remember we're talking about the theme of second exodus. Whose heart was hardened in the original exodus? Wasn't it Pharaoh's, right? So in a way here, the disciples are actually being compared to Pharaoh, the reason that people aren't leaving captivity and into the promised land. The disciples are continuously painted as clueless. Mark chapter 9, verses 18 through 19. The disciples had twice been given authority to cast out demons and had already done so. And so there was a man who had a son who was demon-possessed and brought him to his disciples, and apparently the disciples couldn't do anything about it. So he comes to Jesus and he says, I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And Jesus responds again, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? Why don't you get it? Why are you looking at, at ducks and saying, it's chickens? Why are you looking at me, the Christ, the Messiah, and understanding who you think I'm supposed to be and not understanding who I actually am that you've seen through my actions, that you've seen through my teachings and through my healings? One more, Mark chapter 9, verse 31, as Jesus was telling the disciples for the second time that he would have to suffer and be killed and rise in three days, the Bible says they did not understand the saying and they were afraid to ask him. There was one moment, one time, where it seemed like the disciples maybe weren't so clueless. Maybe they were clued in disciples. Jesus is having a very candid conversation in Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 29, and he asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And his disciples respond. They, they say, you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others, one of the prophets. But Jesus didn't ask that. So he asked again, who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up, the loud mouth, and he says, you are the Christ, the Messiah. Finally, do the disciples finally have it right? They finally know who Jesus is, right? More than halfway through the book of Mark. Finally, the disciples know who Jesus is, right? Well, Kinda, because right after this, the very next thing that happens, Jesus tells them the first time that he must suffer and be killed and rise again. And uh, here's what happens there. Uh, Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke him. And Jesus rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. So he goes from like, he knows it, to being compared to Satan. So maybe we're not quite there yet, right? Maybe not. So as we come into Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16, which is the same passage that I read every year on the day that we bring up all the babies from last year and we pray a prayer of blessing over them and we give them a Bible and it's a great time. Um, we read this passage, but this time as we read it, I want you to be thinking about the cluelessness of the disciples. That's the theme we're going to focus on. We're going to see how the disciples acted in this story. So in Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16, my Bible's actually creased to it. I can't help but open my Bible to it. And they were bringing, the people were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. The disciples, after confessing he's the Christ, 
still don't get it. They don't know who Jesus is. They know who they want him to be. They know their idea of him, but they don't know who Jesus is. They're looking at a field of ducks, and they're saying, look at all those chickens. They don't know Jesus, and it, they, they had every opportunity to. They've seen him always call back the ostracized and the marginalized and elevate all of the outcasts, such as women, tax collectors, lepers, Samaritans, prostitutes, sinners, everybody that the world says is the worst. Jesus says, you are the best in my kingdom, and the disciples still don't get it. And by the way, in this society, kids were one of the least. Kids had, especially in the, in the Bible here, the word is paideia in the Greek, which is infant, which is where we get little child, right? They didn't contribute to society, and so they didn't matter in society. They had no place. And so a Jewish rabbi, especially someone that the disciples had already confessed as the Christ, surely didn't have time for someone who didn't matter, right? Wrong. In Throughout Jesus' ministry, as he continues to call back those who were marginalized, it even seems here that the disciples may have triggered him even more. Kids may have been even more important to him because this is only the third time in the book of Mark that Jesus gets angry. The first time was in Mark chapter 1 when somebody approaches him and asks him to heal him from his leprosy. And Jesus was moved to pity is what my translation says. The Greek word there is more provoked to anger. Just at the fact that leprosy exists and consumes this man. The second time was with Pharisees, and Pharisees often pushed Jesus' buttons. And Jesus asked them a simple question about, about the Sabbath. And they couldn't answer it, and their silence angered Jesus. And here, when the disciples rebuke people for bringing children to him, Jesus becomes indignant. He becomes angry because Jesus knows that, that those who are cast out, those who don't matter here, the first will be last. But the disciples didn't get it. And I pray, I pray that we can get it. I pray that we look at Jesus and we see all of his teachings, we see all of his healings, we see his inclusion of all of the outcasts, and we understand and we can say that is who Jesus is. We can see him, we can know him by his actions and by what he's shown us. Not by some idea of what we think a Messiah should be, which in that context would have been some warrior king that overthrows the government. But here I hope we can see Jesus for who he truly is. Someone who makes time, not only makes time, but prioritizes time with those the world says don't matter. And in this context, Jesus shows us even when it comes to kids, he even gets angry with it. So in a few minutes, we're going to call up all of the babies that were born in 2022. We're going to call them to the stage. We're going to give them a Bible. Um, we're going to pray over them. And um, before we do that, I want to I encourage the parents before we do that, parents of, of anybody, any kids, infants especially, the ones we're bringing up, but everybody. Jesus not only makes time for you, to bring your children to his throne, to his presence. Jesus wants it. He prioritizes it. He says it's the most important. Don't let anybody rebuke you for doing so. Don't let anybody discourage you from flooding the presence of Jesus with you and your family because Jesus wants that and he welcomes it Amen. and he prioritizes it. And church, the charge for us is to not look at a field of ducks and say, look at all those chickens. The charge for us is to not be a hindrance 
for people coming into Jesus, to know Jesus, but to, be, to amplify Jesus' message, to be a funnel which people can come to, to bring people ourselves to his presence. That's our commission, right, is to do so, not to rebuke those who are. So our charge is to amplify his presence, to bring people to his throne. And as you see the kids that come up here, I want you to think, how am I helping these kids and the kids all around in this room, how am I helping them come to the presence of the Lord? And if you can't answer that clearly, I encourage you to think this week and figure out how to make actions so that you can. Because that is God's will. And that is who Jesus is, one who welcomes the children, one who wants them in his presence. And he wants us to do our job to bring them to him. Parents, as you get this Bible, I want to encourage you to read it, use it, pray with your kids, spend time in the Word, spend time talking about the Lord. In a few minutes, Ms. Elsita is going to come up and announce something uh, that we hope will give you a few more tools to do so. But we want you to know that you taking a step forward and bringing your kids to the throne matters, and it is a priority in Jesus' heart. I'm going to say a prayer, and then I'm going to call Ms. Elsita up, and we're going to start calling our children up and onto the stage. God, we love you. We praise you in all things. We pray that we don't look at a field of ducks and we call it chickens. We pray we don't look at Jesus and build him up to be some warrior king or some other image in our mind that would be something of exclusion. But God, someone who brings forth the outcast, someone who elevates those who the world says is low, someone who brings children into his presence. We pray we see you as that. We pray you, we amplify your message and that we continuously bring people to your throne. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm going to call up all the kids one by one. Let's go ahead and make sure they know we want them here, all right, when they come up. So uh, let, when you come up, we'll come up on this side. You get a Bible from Miss Celsita, and then just go ahead and stand on stage, and then I'll call all of the elders and ministry staff up here to lay hands on and pray over. So first we have... Blake Hone. Is Blake here? I've seen Blake's siblings today. All right. Then we have Valenia Young. Here she comes. She's not walking yet? Man. Uh, then Salix Albi. Don't forget the giraffe. It's always important. Remy Scarlet Black. Accompanied by Big Sister. Very good. Oakland Tedeschi. Tedeschi. I was back and forth. I'm so sorry. Tedeschi. As someone whose name is also awkward, I apologize. Uh, Chloe Sandoval.
Peter Sayer. And Josiah Kuzmin, who I, I don't think Josiah is here today, but we want to honor him anyway. At this time, I want to call all of the elders and ministry staff up here. Let's go ahead and uh, lay hands on as we bring these kids to the Lord and their families. Lord, we love you and we praise you in all things. We know it is your will that these families, that these babies be brought to your presence. We pray that our families are encouraged to do so, that throughout the lives of these children as they grow, that they are able to be in your presence, that they are never discouraged from doing so. God, we pray as a church congregation that we're able to uplift and encourage these families, that we're able to do our parts to help bring them to the throne. God, there's so much joy in our hearts for the lives of these babies. There's so much, uh, so much love that we have for them. God, I pray that uh, we, we display that. We let that be known. We show that these families the love that we have for them, the encouragement that we can give them. Um, we just pray that everything be done uh, for your glory. We know your glory. It's children at your, at your feet. And God, we present them to you, and we love you. Uh, we pray that you watch over them, and you help us to do our best to raise them in your name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 